Hi class, this is your instructor, Skylar Huff. So I'm back here. Now this is part two of two in chapter three. I'll pick up now after having gone through the carbohydrates as well as lipids, and we're now in proteins. So the proteins, they contain many things. I'll start with carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, oxygen, and usually sulfur. So to make this as concise as can be, a protein is usually composed of one or more polypeptide chains of amino acids. They'll be coiled or folded in characteristic shapes. So what you ought to look for are those amino acid units that are joined together by those carbon-nitrogen bonds. To help you out, there should be an amine group, an R group, as well as a carboxyl group or acid group. Those three groups are there. So look for NH2 in the amine group. Look for your R group near the top there. And then, of course, look for your double-bonded oxygen, as well as the hydroxyl group. In all of this, enzymes are, well, typically proteins can be things such as enzymes. They can be structural proteins. And I guess to go back with enzymes, enzymes such as lactase or catalase or invertase. And then they can be structural such as collagen, which is, of course, in the hair, or even other structural proteins that may exist to aid in contraction of muscle, such as muscle proteins. And then finally, proteins such as hemoglobin. So with those differing heme groups, and of course the iron in the center, which gives it its color. So with protein structure, it typically occurs in four levels. So the first level of protein structure is going to be that primary sequence of amino acids. So of course, the amino acids that exist, they'll be there, bonded together, and from the primary sequence of amino acids comes the secondary structure. The secondary structure consists of two parts, the alpha helix and the beta pleated sheet. And of course, bonding is occurring. And then as you get to that tertiary structure, is when the protein begins to fold. And after that folding, with the quaternary structure, it will typically be including two or more proteins folded and bound together in that 3D structure. So finally, I am to my fourth and final group. And the fourth group class are the, or is the, nucleic acids. So the nucleic acids class include everything, meaning the full, what I call, chin-ops. So it's the carbon, the hydrogen, the nitrogen, the oxygen, as well as phosphorus, hence the term chin-op. So to describe, I'll begin with the backbone. The backbone of the nucleic acids have an alternating pentose and phosphate group. So pentose, phosphate, pentose, phosphate, pentose, phosphate, and then from which the nitrogenous bases project out to the side. To give you a visual, you have your phosphate group, and then you have your pentose sugar. Phosphate group, pentose sugar. Coming from that pentose sugar at that number one carbon is going to be the nitrogenous base. So to continue on, just make sure you know that if it happens to be DNA, it will form a double helix. So DNA contains the sugar, deoxyribose, and the bases, the nitrogenous bases, are guanine, cytosine, adenine, and thymine. RNA. RNA forms a single strand or a single helix. Single stranded it is. So RNA contains the sugar, the pentose sugar, ribose, and contains the bases adenine, guanine, cytosine, and uracil. And in case anyone ever wonders, 
why does it have urostil instead of thymine? And it's all because thymine being too large to escape the nuclear pores. Urostil can fit, so urostil is now here in RNA. So to create a nucleotide, you must have these three components. You must have that pentose sugar, be it deoxyribose or simply ribose. You must have your phosphate group and of course the nitrogenous base, depending upon whether or not it's DNA or RNA. So to help you with what these two things do, I'll tell you now that the nucleic acids are very important in the storage of information, namely DNA, the transmission of information, I would say with transmission, namely RNA, and then the expression of genetic information. So everything about you, everything about me, everything about every species on Earth has its genetic information encoded in the DNA, or at least a nucleic acid, I'll put it that way. So these things are important in energy transfer, cell signaling, as well as metabolism. So to take things just one step further, you can further divide those nitrogenous bases into two categories. They're called the purines and pyrimidines. So the purines consist of adenine and guanine, and the pyrimidines consist of cytosine, thymine, or uracil in the case of RNA. So always and forever, there'll be one purine bound to one pyrimidine. Hence, they call it Chargaff's rule. So adenine will always be with thymine, A equals T. Guanine will always be with cytosine, C equals G. And of course, in the case of RNA, A will always be paired with U, so A equals U. So with those percentages class, if there happen to be 40% adenines in DNA, there would have to be 40% thymines because A equals T. So what's left is 20%. So to divide those things in half, 10% would be guanine, and the last 10% would be cytosine. So there you have it. That has been chapter 3. I hope that you study very well. If there are any questions, class, please let me know. Feel free to email me or stop by the office during office hours. As always, study well, and thank you all for listening.